I think perfectionism is a primary block. Uh, and I, I think it keeps us from experimenting uh, and from sort of fooling around in our art form. Uh, and what I'm after when I say dismantle your perfectionist uh, is the freedom that comes from expressing what I call first thoughts. Uh, and first thoughts are the impulse uh, you as a photographer would know uh, that if you're photographing a subject, very often the early shots turn out uh, to be the best. That nugget was from the one and only Julia Cameron. If that name doesn't immediately ring a bell for you, then let me get you up to speed because Julia wrote a long time ago one of the most... Uh, I think most powerful books ever written about creativity called The Artist's Way. It has literally transformed the lives of millions of readers since it was first published. And we welcome her back to the show for her second appearance, uh, where she is now talking about her new book called Write for Life. And what I will be quick to add, in addition to the title Write for Life, is that this book, and especially today's show, goes far beyond value for writers. Um, I have confessed in other shows uh, previous to this one in the last few weeks or months that I'm working on another book, but I've also got a couple other projects going that this book, and in particular our conversation today with Julia, has helped me to unlock. Now, Julia has been, she's written over 40 titles, been writing for 55 years about creativity. She's been teaching that she knows writing, that she knows how to communicate ideas effectively. Uh, she knows so much about, I mean, she performs three original poems for us at the end of this particular show. She knows so much about not just uh, these disciplines. Oh, she was also married to Martin Scorsese. So to say she knows a thing or two about cinema would be um, an understatement. But today's episode is special in part because we get the gifts of this legend in the space, but also she is absolutely spot on. She is heartfelt, earnest. And again, we get three original. When I asked her if she had anything else to say, she said, I'd like to share a couple poems. So this is an absolutely um, very dense episode. Uh, there's a lot of great material. I have so many notes in front of me and the technical team that was recording the show is taking notes. We basically have a transcription of it because it was so impactful. Uh, I'm going to stop talking and get out of the way. Yours truly and the amazing Julia Cameron. It brings me great joy to welcome Julia Cameron back to the show. Julia, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be back. You are wildly prolific. We haven't had that many guests on multiple times. We've had you on once before to talk about your long career, the artist's way, and a, a couple of new pieces. And in the meantime, you've been writing a new book called Write for Life that I want to uh, get to and to discuss a little bit today. But before then, for anyone who might not be familiar with you or your work, the handful of people of the 100,000 or so that are listening that might not be familiar with you, could you give us a little introduction and how do you describe yourself and the work that you do in the world? 
Well, I describe myself as a primarily as a writer, uh, although I have been rendered a teacher. Uh, and what I do uh, is teach people the patterns that have worked for me uh, in order to stay unblocked. Uh, and what happened for me was I wrote The Artist's Way uh, and I taught in New York at a place called the Feminist Art Institute. Uh, and um, I had a little class uh, and they were flame-haired directors uh, and uh, people who were blocked. Uh, and I said to them, well, you might want to try the things that have worked for me to be unblocked. Uh, and so I taught them about morning pages, uh, which is the tool um, from the artist's way that is sort of the most known. Uh, and um, I just want to say uh, that I still consider myself to be uh, an artist sharing among art other artists, uh, that it's sort of a peer situation rather than uh, my being on a pedestal lecturing. So it's just like, okay, try these things. See if they work for you. Hopefully they will. Well, I can't even... Uh, I don't even know where to start to try and find out how many books you've sold over your career. The list in the front here, again, this is a, an advanced copy, but there's a list of the uh, your writings, and it takes up more than uh, an, an 8 by 10 page. These are all the titles. You probably can't see them, but for those listening to the show, it is, I mean, there's got to be 40-plus titles there and it goes from pic fiction nonfiction, of course all the artist's way series books other books on creativity books on spirituality uh you've got memoir fiction plays poetry so we are in the presence of uh one of the most prolific artists of our time you've really done so much and you have uh a life of being embedded in the at the core of creativity with you know having spent so much time around film your former husband, Martin Scorsese. I'm wondering, is it a lifetime of being in the pursuit of creativity and putting your work out there in the world that uh, that makes you potentially unique, uniquely qualified to share with us this stuff today? Or there's, is there some other alchemy that we don't know about? Well, there's no mysterious alchemy. Uh, it's sharing... Uh, sort of the details of daily life uh, and how to cope. Uh, and before we opened the show, we were talking about you're having a 14-week-old puppy and I have a 21-week-old puppy. Uh, and so I can assure you uh, that it becomes a little bit more difficult to focus when you have an enchanting distraction. This is true. This is true. And when you write about um, being stuck and overcoming distractions, even enchanting as they may, I'm, I'm sure that uh, you don't have a, a chapter on puppies in the book that I've seen. Although uh, Lily, your other puppy, does uh, open the book with 
uh, how lovely and distracting she could be. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit, instead of going too deep on creativity generally and, and your life spent there, specifically, why did you choose to write about the writing process as opposed to, you know, some other uh, creative endeavor? Well, I felt I wanted to write from a deep pockets place of experience. Uh, and I wrote a book 20 years ago called The Right to Write. Uh, and it was sort of a manifesto saying, we all have the right to write. And then I realized, you know, I have another 20 years experience. Uh, and I wanted to sort of share the the tricks and the tools, uh, because people will say to me, Julia, my God, you're, you're so prolific. Uh, and I, I think uh, that I have a toolkit which lends itself uh, to being prolific. Uh, and I, I wanted to share that. I wanted to, sh to share what I had learned, uh, because we have a very dangerous mythology that says writing is terribly difficult uh, and writers have to be tormented uh, and write out of pain. Uh, and what I have found is that writing can be blissful and we can write out of joy so I wanted to share that, uh, and um, hopefully the, um, the book that you have in your hands uh, is a book uh, that will be a, a witness to the productivity of others. Well, I, I must confess, um, I'm in the middle of another book right now, and in preparing for our interview today, I often go back and read all sorts of different um, reminders about the creative process. I've referenced The Artist's Way many, many times, and in preparation for the work that I'm doing on my, my latest book, this book was very, very handy. In particular, there's a, a creative tool that you talk about. I'd like to zoom out a, a, in a second, but specifically the daily quota. Um, I will try and orient our listeners uh, to the book more generally in just a second, but I'm wondering if you can share this a, a little bit about uh, the daily quota that helped me so much, if, if you can share that with our listeners. Well, I think uh, that a lot of times when people are writing a project, <clears throat> they feel that they have to know the whole thing and write the whole thing. Uh, and conquer the whole thing, uh, and it becomes sort of a war of wills between you and what you're trying to create. Uh, and what I found uh, over the years was that if I wrote just a little bit every day, uh, it would build up. Uh, and uh, so I came up with the concept of a daily quota for myself. Uh, and we will talk a little bit about that people write morning pages uh, and that that primes the pump. Uh, and then after pages, they will write 
a daily quota. Uh, and one of the things that I have found is that by lowering the bar and expecting to do just a little bit every day, pages build up quickly. Uh, and uh, I think that a daily quota gives you a sense of support uh, and a sense of accomplishment. Every day you can say to yourself, well, I met my daily quota, uh, and it becomes a reinforcement and a witness for your work. Well, this is true. Many entrepreneurs talking talk about uh, making their bed first thing in the morning because it gives them, even though it's such a small thing, um, there is a sense of starting something and completing it in the same day. And that's uh, the sense that I got around, uh, you know, your your daily quota point. Um, the book opens um, with, well, I'll, I'll just reference it here in your words rather than me trying to summarize. Um, the ideas around uh, priming the pump, which is what you you just alluded to mom a moment ago. Why don't you help us understand priming the pump and morning pages? This is. Uh, um, in many ways, uh, a restatement of some of your most powerful work from the past, but help us understand how Morning Pages translates into this, you know, the beginnings of this daily quota that you talked about. Well, Morning Pages are three pages of longhand morning writing about absolutely anything. Uh, and whatever crosses your mind goes to the page, uh, and you don't censor uh, you write as it occurs to you. Uh, and what you're doing then is saying to yourself, all parts of me are welcome here. Uh, and when you move to your daily quota, the notion that all parts of you are welcome here translates into productivity. Uh, and uh, I think... The, the tools of priming the pump are tools for longevity. Uh, morning pages, I've been doing morning pages a long time. 50-something <laughs> years? How many years? Uh, I'm not sure how many years. I, I know that I had been teaching them for about 10 years before I wrote The Artist's Way. So let's say 40 years of morning pages. Uh, and what I found was that they were inspirational. Uh, and they led me into writing the next right thing. So I, I want to put a word in here. Uh, for writing by hand. I write my books by hand. Uh, and it's a wonderful practice because there's a direct connection between the heart and the hand. Uh, and so as you write by hand, you get a notion of what might come next. Mm. Is that have you tried to write with a keyboard before and 
found that there is some sort of a blockage between the heart and the hand, or is this just the method that you've always gone with? Well, I think I've learned to write by hand by writing so many morning pages. Uh, and um, I've written on the computer, but I I think uh, the computer is misleading mm. because you can type something on the computer very fast. Uh, and a lot of times people say to me, Julia, I don't want to write by hand. It's too slow. Uh, and what I say is, we're after accuracy and authenticity and vulnerability, and those are all the characteristics of a good writer. Uh, and if you're writing on computer, you can whiz past uh, those points. Mm. Well, I'm not going to be the first person to make this connection. Um, we are talking today about writing specifically because you know, Write for Life is your new book, but so many of these things, with the artist's way being a little bit more, um, or, you know, the, the aperture being a little wider, that was relevant to everyone. And yet, when I was reading this, my primary, um, my primary art is photography. I would say secondarily is writing and tertiarily is building businesses, but I found you know, again, I'm not the first person to make this connection, but everything that you've said in here, including a daily quota, has been very valuable to me across all of my different creative disciplines. So the question is, even though this is a book about writing, did you intentionally intend for it to be, did you intend rather for it to be applicable to so many different forms of creativity? Well, I intended it to be about writing and to deciphering the mythology about writing. And the mythology about writing is largely negative. Uh, and I think the mythology around all creativity is largely negative. So as people would read along in the book and find themselves dismantling their perfectionism, they find themselves moving more freely into every art form. Mm. Well, that is a good uh, point of departure for this conversation because that is, to skip ahead here, this is, uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I promised a moment ago to do a little bit of an overview. And what you've got here is a, with Write for Life is a six-week program to help people complete a writing project. And in the process of doing the six-week project uh, or the six-week process around a project, you obviously are developing tools and habits that can help you in creativity and other, other writing endeavors. But I wanted to skip forward. If we, we already mentioned week one is priming the pump and making sure some of these previous practices that you've taught about, like morning pages, are in place. But if we skip forward to week five, uh, the title of that is Dismantle Your Perfectionist. You just mentioned that, so I'm wondering if you can talk about what role you see perfectionism playing in writing or, or any creative process for that matter. Well, for that matter, I want to say I think perfectionism is a primary block, uh, and I, I think it keeps us from experimenting uh, and from sort of 
fooling around in our art form. Uh, and what I'm after when I say dismantle your perfectionist uh, is the freedom that comes from expressing what I call first thoughts. Uh, and first thoughts are the impulse uh, you as a photographer would know uh, that if you're photographing a subject, very often the early shots turn out uh, to be the best. It's uh, true. And I, I think that's because you're sort of doing what I call grabbing time. Uh, and grabbing time uh, dismantles perfectionism. Uh, we have a mythology that says we need vast swaths of time in order to create. Uh, and what I have found is that we don't need vast swaths of time. We need to just grab the moment. Uh, and as we grab the moment, we find ourselves more fully expressing ourselves. Mm. Is there some sort of authenticity rooted in that early moment? Is that a rawness? It is that what is the what is the rationale behind that being in many cases our best work? Well, I think what you're talking about is having a, a connection um, to what uh, I would tend to call a higher power, uh, and um, I believe in the line from Dylan Thomas, the force that through the green fuse drives the flower. Uh, and that's a force uh, that is indomitable uh, and spontaneous uh, and doesn't need to be corrected. Uh, and I think uh, when we work with the tools of this book, we find ourselves saying, oh, maybe I don't need to fix that. Because a lot of times it's in the fixing uh, that we break something. And that brings us back to the computer, uh, which has the ability to have you backtrack and fix something. Uh, and it actually keeps you from moving forward. Mm. I love that perspective. And I also was made aware what I was reading in prep for today, but also in prep for the rest of my life, uh, this tension in your work, and I was able to find it in other, other works before this, of the authenticity, the spontaneity, and being in the moment, and the juxtaposition of sitting down and doing it every day, which is a planned activity where you're doing morning pages and you're priming the pump and then you're meeting your daily quota. I'm wondering if you can talk about the tension between, you know, spontaneity, which you just sort of mentioned as, as, is gold and one of the reasons that you, you know, are, are, your process is the way it is. Talk to me about the tension between the spontaneity and the sitting down and working every day. Well, I think uh, that when you do morning pages, you're coaxing forward your inner artist. Uh, and when you do the daily quota, you're saying, well, 
we need to have a little discipline here. Uh, and I, I think there's a valuable tension uh, to be found between the spontaneity of morning pages and the, the discipline of sitting down for the daily quota. So they go actually hand in glove. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times people will say, Julia, I can't do artist dates. And artist dates are another tool from the, uh, from the artist's way, which is once a week, go out and do something festive, play, let yourself be frivolous. Uh, and I have found that if we let ourselves play uh, and be frivolous, it rests the mind. Uh, and then when we go back and try and do our daily quota, uh, we find ourselves with many images to share. Speaking of this tension that I mentioned earlier, is there a tension here between play and work as well? Or is, is play some sort of work in itself and is work sort of laced with play? What's the relationship there? I think you just put it perfectly. <laughs> All right, noted. <laughs> I think you put, you put it perfectly that when we work, we have a sense of play uh, and when we play, it enlivens our work. So I think uh, that the two go hand in glove, and that's why they are basic tools uh, and why the book opens saying, please be sure you're doing this because that creates a balanced artist. Well, there's something that is that strikes me in when I reflect back on my own, um, I don't know if it's just prolific, but my maybe my own most profound uh, creative moments in any project, they seem to have sneaked up on me, snuck up on me, sneaked, they seem to surprise me. And I'm rarely ever prepared. And it doesn't like, it's not like, uh, a Friday night football game under the lights and spend the whole week building up to this one event. It, it tends to just be some random day where I'm doing the work. And that's when, you know, something profound happens in, in either the, you know, the visually, if I'm you know taking pictures that the, you know, all of the right conditions are present. Um, or if I'm writing that something just, you know, I, I'm able to lock in. And I'm wondering, is this a byproduct of all of the this combination of work and play over time? Or is there some special je ne sais quoi that we, that we can point to why this seems to be true? And is it only me or is this really what you're setting up for us? Well, I, I think what I'm setting up is a formula that creates synchronicity. Uh, and um, I will say to people, if you use these basic priming the pump tools, your luck will improve. <laughs> uh, and uh, 
this is sort of an intermeshing of our inner state uh, and outer conditions. Mm. Uh, and uh, I think that we, we find ourselves saying, <clears throat> I didn't do anything to prepare myself for this. It just happened. But what we can do uh, is make the field fertile uh, for it to happen. So I think uh, that what we're talking about uh, is the delight of creativity, the um, surprise of creativity, the um, role creativity plays in enlivening our lives. Well, it's almost like you can see my notes here because that is not the next point that I wanted to cover, but I'm happy to skip to it because that's the perfect entree, which is what role does creativity play for us? Uh, you've written about it at length. I've written a couple books and I've, I, I feel like this, you know, creativity is, um, I talk about it as a lifeblood, as a, a, a right, as the thing that distinguishes us from so many other species on the planet. And, and yet, um, it's somehow more than that. And I'm hoping you can talk at length uh, in, in this little extended interview here because we're not bound by a TV soundbite or uh, you know a one-sentence blurb on the back of a book, but what role does creativity play for us, all of us people? Well, I think what we're talking about is optimism that mm. Creativity creates a feeling of trust, uh, a, a feeling of, oh, wow, that's so groovy. <laughs> uh, we have a, um, a, a connection. Uh, and uh, I think the tools of priming the pump build that connection. Uh, and I, another tool we haven't talked about is take a walk. Uh, and taking a walk, uh, we begin to connect with a larger benevolent something. Uh, and I think uh, that all of us have a desire for creativity. Uh, and when we use the tools and find we can unlock our creativity, uh, we begin to have a, a little bit more confidence uh, and a little bit more joy. Uh, and creativity keeps us from feeling trapped. Mm. If, if we take all of those things at face value, which that was incredibly articulate, let's take the opposite. Let's try and speak, or I would love to have you speak to a a fictitious person who, you know, might be co-hosting this show with me right now and might say, well, I don't see myself as creative and I'm not sure the value of it when, you know, we just go through our daily lives and we've got our list of stuff to do. And, um, and I've never thought of myself as that creative. And 
yet here I am thriving. I've got a successful fill in the blank, a successful podcast or business, or I'm an employee at a company that, you know, I get paid very well. What, what, you know, let's do the, the antithetical. Like, what would you say to that person around your work and about what they might be missing? Well, what I would say is we need you to experiment with open-mindedness. You have a job. It's, it's fulfilling. But perhaps you feel a little bit stuck. Uh, and what I want to say to you is I want you to try writing morning pages uh, and see if it doesn't wake you up to some new directions in your work. Uh, and I, I think uh, this is where we have to say, experiment with the tools. They can't be explained verbally. Uh, I can try and be hopeful and inspirational, but nothing works as well as you're putting pen to page. Uh, and I, I think uh, that when you define yourself as a non-creative, you're limiting yourself uh, and you're setting sort of an artificial ceiling on your gifts. You say, I'm good at this, but not at anything more. Uh, and I think what, what the tools do uh, is train you to expand. They will mention a risk uh, and you will find yourself saying, I can't do that. And you try and ignore it and you keep on writing and then they'll mention the risk and you'll say, I don't think I can do that. And then just to shut them up when they bring it up again, uh, you'll say, oh, all right, I'll try. Uh, and in the trying often comes success. So I think uh, we need to talk here about people feeling uh, a need for a monetary response. Uh, we have a culture that values paid in full. Uh, and we have a culture that devalues hobbies. Uh, and hobbies are a place where we express our creativity. Uh, and so if you're saying to yourself, Julia, I'm not creative, then you're not exploring the many avenues your creativity may take. Uh, and it may take something like, uh, I'm hanging new curtains in the dining room. Uh, and you find yourself saying, oh, those are really enjoyable uh, without realizing that those are an expression of your creativity. Mm. So this to me is a fascinating thread and I don't want to spend uh, too much of our time talking to those who don't identify as creators or creative curious because that's, I'd say that's 95% of our listenership. And yet, this constant reminder, um, my hope is that we can empower people who are listening to the show, communicate with other people in their lives who might not understand the drives that they have, their creative drives, whether that's a spouse or a career counselor or, you know, a 
a student to their teacher or a child to their parent or or maybe in many cases the other way around. So if we can keep exploring this a little bit, what are some things, you know, as as a obviously incredibly gifted and prolific writer, but also as a longtime teacher, uh, do you have or have you had in the past any specific advice for people who are trying to communicate their creative impulses, their urges, their desires to others in their life that might not find value there or might not find the fact that they would sit down to do a six-week writing course uh, at a new book called Write for Life that that their you know spouse or or partner or whatever might find that not not so valuable. What would you what do you say to those people who are trying to explain that to other people in their lives? What advice do you give? I would say don't explain, just do. Uh, and I think. Uh, that when somebody starts practicing the tools, uh, they they do arouse curiosity uh, in their spouse and their fellows, uh, and I think uh, you have to be careful of of people who are going to try and tell you the size they think you should be. So I think uh, that what happens when you work with the tools, is that you begin to have a hunch that you might be larger. Uh, and I think as you express uh, your, your growth in small ways, uh, it causes the people around you to have to adjust. Uh, and uh, I had a student uh, who was a president of the Board of Trade, uh, and he was rigorously intellectual. Uh, and I coaxed him and said, Timothy, just try morning pages. So he felt like, well, I've spent my good money for this creativity expert, uh, and I guess I'll try it. Uh, and what happened was he was doing seven out of seven morning pages. Uh, and then one week he came in uh, and he, he said, I didn't do any pages this week. I have a new lover. Uh, and I think I'm afraid to say to her, just a minute, I need to do my pages. So I think uh, I think. I think we attract people who wouldn't define themselves as blocked, but they are in fact blocked. Uh, and when they encounter our sort of free-flowing creativity, uh, it's a little bit threatening. Well, that brings me to the chapter on resistance. <laughs> Very naturally so. Um, week four, again, I'm skipping around a little bit. I don't want to list all of the weeks here because that's for you to buy the book and check it out. Obviously, incredibly powerful and well-organized as a trademark of your work. But this idea of A, resistance in the first place, and B, how to resist your resistance. I'm wondering if you could talk to us about these things. Well, I think... Uh... 
that all of us experience resistance. Uh, whenever we have a new creative challenge, uh, we find ourselves doubting ourselves uh, and doubting that we can, in fact, accomplish the challenge. Uh, and I have a tool uh, which is useful, uh, and it's called Blasting Through Blocks. Uh, and it's a tool where you say you number from 1 to 20, uh, and you list all of your fears, your angers, and your resentments about going forward. Uh, and what they do is clear a runway for your creativity. Uh, it's a little bit like when you have a, a creative desire. Uh, it's like you're in an airplane and you're circling and there's no free runway for you to land. Uh, and then you do the blasting through blocks exercise uh, and you find yourself going, oh, I can land right there. And you zip down and you safely land. So I think uh, that resisting our resistance uh, is something, uh, another tool which I think is really helpful uh, is numbering from one to 10 and filling in the blank with, if I didn't have to do it perfectly, I'd try. If I didn't have to do it perfectly, I'd try. If I didn't have to do it perfectly, I'd try. Uh, and when you have finished your list of 10 things, uh, you'll see that fear, anger, and resentment are the things which are blocking you and fueling your resistance. Uh, and that they are not necessarily bona fide barriers. Uh, they are barriers that we conjure up. So I think we should talk uh, about uh, the inner critic, uh, which is a character uh, that I think most of us are familiar with. Uh, and uh, the critic will say, oh, Chase, what are you trying to write about this for? Uh, and because you're doing your priming the pump exercises, you'll hear that voice and you'll say, thank you for sharing. I think I'll keep right on writing. Uh, and you keep right on writing. Uh, and people will sometimes say to me, Julia, how can I get rid of my inner critic? Uh, and I think the answer is you can't get rid of your inner critic, but you can miniaturize your inner critic. Uh, and it goes from being the booming voice of reason uh, to being a wee peeping cartoon character who is habitually negative. Uh, and um, I have an inner critic, I call him Nigel. Uh, and Nigel has been, I've been writing 55 years and Nigel has been commenting for 55 years. Uh, and uh, I have learned to say, Nigel, thank you for sharing. 
uh, and I think I'll go forward. And um, I want to say a word about the um, tools of Right for Life, having a repetitive grounding in tools I've taught previously. Uh, and I, I recently had a, a critic say, Julia's tools are simple and repetitive. And I think it was supposed to be an insult, <laughs> but I was delighted. I thought tools should be simple and repetitive. So, um, I love it. No further explanation needed there. A hammer is pretty uh, simple and, uh, you have to repeat that motion many times to pound a nail. Um, there's a quote here uh, from that you you mentioned from Sylvia Plath. The worst enemy to creativity is self doubt. Is this sort of a uh, a summary of a, of those fear, anger? Uh, I forget the other one. Risk, fear, anger, and risk, uh, and the inner critic. Is that should we park all of those things under the heading? of self-doubt, the self-doubt that we all feel at some point in our journeys? Well, I, th I think this is where we are talking about, are you doing the priming the pump tools? Are you doing your morning pages? Are they creating a sense of connection and optimism and expansion? Do you find yourself becoming a little bit at a time bigger? Uh, and are you going on your artist dates and having fun uh, and being frivolous uh, and having a sense of connection to a benevolent something uh, that seems valid? Are you walking? Are you looking at your environment? Uh, and all of these tools used together are a, a potent deflector of self-doubt if you're not using those tools it's then fair to say that uh you're not doing not doing the work is that a reasonable assumption and that's the that's why you're having those and if you actually employed the use of all of these tools that you could transcend the block the self-doubt all of these things and and that these things are very simple and you can point to in a list if you just did those things, that you would persevere. Is that fair? I think that's very fair. That's all I want to be is fair. <laughs> um, okay, so I mentioned three of the key tools here, um, and I'm I I don't want to. I, I promise not to go through all six, but I do want to talk about the last one, which is uh, celebration. Celebrate your achievement and. In my particular creative process, I, I have a four-step creative process that I use, I, and it's idea, um, imagine, design, execute, and then amplify. And prior to really seeing you talk about celebrating work, I hadn't seen, it's, it's, it's analogous to my own um, version of amplify, which is talk about it, share it with people close to you and the world and that there is a virtue in that pro that element of the process. And I'm wondering, am I doing the work to make those analogous, the, the amplifying our work with your 
celebration? And if, if not, how is it different? And if so, you know, what, why are you advocating that we celebrate, um, our, our achievements? Well, you've asked a very complex question, and I'll try and give it a, a simple answer. <laughs> I'm sorry, Julia. That's my job. I'm, I, I should maybe make it simple like your tools. But it, what role does, does, this, does the, the celebration play? Well, this is where, uh, when you're working through the book, uh, it's suggested that you show it to someone who is a believing mirror. Uh, and a believing mirror is somebody who mirrors back to you your power, your potential, your authenticity, your grace. Uh, and um, so you have a certain point in a project where you have, you're sort of thinking, oh, I'm ready to show it to people. And you have to say to yourself, are the people that I'm showing it to able to respond positively? Are they able to be generous? Are they able to be enthusiastic? Are they able to be supportive? Uh, and after you have sort of gone through your list of friends uh, and said, uh, well, I had, um, I had something happen this week. Um, I called a friend of mine who's a writer and an academician. And I told him I was working on a book about the basic tools. Uh, and he said, oh, you're watering down your masterwork. Wow. <laughs> and I said, I haven't thought of it as watering it down. I've thought of it as being an introduction that people can work with the basic tools and then maybe they'll go back and do the artist's way. Uh, but what I found was I thought, I'm never going to tell him about a project of mine again because he was toxic. Uh, and um, competitive. Interesting. I think it's fair to say that we all have those people in our lives. And can you say more about uh, how you think of that person now and how you categorize them and or other people like that in the spirit of if you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with or in my friend Brene Brown, you know, talks about you have to have on a, a on a list of paper. She keeps a one by one paper in her wallet. The people who actually matter, what they think of her and her work versus everybody else. The the man in the arena quote from Roosevelt. How how do you think about the people in your life and the the your trusted sources that you talked about with grace and integrity and all those other lovely adjectives. Well, I how do you how do you how do you prune that? I use humor. I think humor uh, is the saving grace, uh, and uh, I think when we are able to be humorous, we have our power back. Uh, yeah. And um, so this little poem goes out to John who always seems to put me down. And we, we just make a little teeny rhyme. 
Uh, I had a book uh, that I wrote that was a crime novel called The Dark Room, uh, and it got 19 good reviews. Uh, but the 20th review was in the New York Times, <laughs> and I was mortified. I, I felt like I should go outside wearing sackcloth and ashes. Uh, and what the um, critic had done was he, um, he didn't like the fact that my detective hero liked Carl Jung. The critic was evidently a Freudian. Uh, and um, so he reviewed my book uh, by talking about Carl Jung and how specious he thought Jung was. Uh, and uh, so I was feeling desolate, and his name was Bill Kent, the critic. Uh, and uh, I found myself falling back on humor as a way to dismantle toxic criticism. And so I wrote a poem that said, this little poem goes out to Bill Kent, who must feel awful the way that he spent his time critiquing Carl Jung instead of on the work I'd done. So as soon as I had that little ditty, I was able to say, oh, I'm alive, I'm well, I'm writing, uh, and uh, my detective does goddamn it like Carl Jung. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love it. And I also enjoy very, very much being in your presence and with all of the wisdom that you've gathered over 55-year writing career. Um, I'm wondering if, as a send-off to our audience, if there's anything that you feel like is left unsaid in the book. Again, we're talking about your latest work called Write for Life, Creative Tools for Every Writer. I personally found value in extrapolating this across many different disciplines, um, although writing is central in court right now because I'm working on my book. But is there anything that you feel like is left unsaid in our particular conversation today, either about the book or your, your work at large? Well, if it's all right with you, I'd like to read a poem. That's my secret life. I've been writing poetry since I was 12. Uh, and um, I would love that. That would be incredible. So I'm going to just read a poem uh, that I think addresses what I'm trying to do as a teacher. Oh, excellent. Please. It's called Remembering. I was not there when your mother bore you. Surely you came into this world hungering and wet. We all do that. Surely you came like the rest of us from that dark sea of souls, that sighing that brings us forth and calls us back. We all share that. If this is true, and it is, even for you, why are you a broken glass smashed against the floor? Why not the sea's grass on the ocean floor? 
Why not a smooth stone, a willow in the wind? Why do you break, not bend, and even broken, why not mend? You do know how. Walk with me to the edge of the city. Take off your shoes and feel the earth. It is softer than a woman. It is safer than your father. It is water. It is air. It is where you are returning with this yearning you can't name. And here's the part. Cast off your shame. It's an old coat. Remember who you are. You are a star. A mountain. That fountain in the sun. Your heart is the velvet cave where birds sing. Are you remembering? Wow. That is absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Was this a recent work from you? It was a reiterated work. Uh, I, I found myself saying that when I teach, I like to use poetry because whether it's just a little ditty about Bill Kent or it's the um, more grounded and profound thoughts. Uh, I'll read you one more poem. Uh, yes, please. It's called Come to Me. Come to me. There is no darkness in which I cannot see you. Come to me. My green heart holds your ancestors. They are waiting to hear your dreams. Speak to them. They know your name. Do not imagine you are alone. Do not imagine they have left you. They are listening, waiting for your voice. Come home. All of us are waiting. Every bird remembers you. The lion in his pride still knows your name. The gazelle, the snake, the silver heron lifting at the shore, all these and more, your family. Come back to me. You do not need to grind your bones to dust, rusting your heart. You are known to us. Only come home. So I think uh, the impulse behind writing The Right for Life was this one. You do not need to grind your bones to dust, rusting your heart. Well, in that sense, the idea of this being an introduction to the larger aperture artist's way is very profound. And that was one of the reasons that 
I wanted to um, basically have you on the show again. I, again, I hadn't had too many guests multiple multiple uh, times on the show. Specifically, though, you're a so prolific, and if you keep writing amazing books, I'd love to keep having you on the show. But this idea of making an even lower barrier to a creative life and a creative practice that serves that serves uh, our listeners is incredibly inspirational to me. I want to thank you for being a guest on the show. Congratulate you for another work of staggering genius. Again, the book Write for Life, uh, Creative Tools for Every Writer. Uh, it's available in paperback. We're going to time this with your book launch. Um, and it's always a treat to speak with you, Julia. Thank you so much for being on the show. And um, I don't know, anything else you'd like to sign off with? That was so beautiful. We got two poems, two original works from you. Thank you so much. Anything else before we uh, sign off? Well, it would just be reading another poem. <laughs> if you'll give me one more, I'll take as many as I can get out of you today. I'm not prepared for this. I'm not prepared for this. I can't pronounce this bliss. The way we know, the knowing where to go. This ebb and flow, can't we take it slow? Where are the walls, the shadows in the halls? This light, can it be right? Where does it come from? I've known a different sun, walked a different earth where air was used for grieving. I think we're leaving. Before we met, I knew your face from stars and stones. I knew your name from wind and grasses. Before we met, the red earth held my heart. The sky cradled my dreams. The forest floor was my green bed. These were what I wed before we met. Now that you are here, I'm wed to galaxies. Our sky does not contain me. Our sun is a candle to what I see. Sheer as a cliff, the walls drop away. Wow. I feel like this was my artist date this week. <laughs> to oh, get thank this. you to get to spend time with you. I'm so grateful. And thank you again for sharing those three original works. Uh, I feel like we've, we got away with something here to have you on the show in addition to your work here at your book, The Performances. Thank you so much. Congrats again on an amazing next step in your creative journey with the release of your new book. Uh, and it's, it's a treat. I'm grateful to have spent some time with you. And to, to those out there listeners, um, obviously Julia is a force of nature. We have relied on her for decades around her, her seminal work, the artist's way. And I really encourage, uh, this process as someone who's in the middle of writing another book. Um, it has been profound for me to employ some of these tools. We've spoken about some today, but there's a lot more and it's very straightforward. As she said, her critic once mentioned, they're simple and repetitive and that's the best compliment I can, I can think of. Julia, thank you so much for being on the show. And until next time, 
from those of us uh, in the show and listener land. Uh, we bid you and everyone else out there adieu. All right. Hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal. Please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us in hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community, all of that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away all of that has a collective, massive, positive impact on the world. So just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing for the show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together. <music>